an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. Studios. Hi, everybody. This is Retake. I'm your host, John Horn. On this week's episode, nearly a year after Alec Baldwin shot and killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the New Mexico set of Rust, prosecutors say criminal charges might be imminent. And later, my conversation with director Gina Prince Bythewood about her new film, The Woman King. It's a movie that she says wouldn't have gotten made were it not for its star, Viola Davis. When she is part of something, because of who she is, that project has the assumption of greatness. And that is unfortunately rare for us in the industry and honestly in the world. But first, here's my retake for this week. There are essentially two ways to drive people to the multiplex. Hollywood runs one and audiences run the other. The first enticement is marketability. So a studio makes a movie with a popular star, a familiar franchise, and attention-grabbing trailers that you see again and again and again. The film itself ultimately might not be very good, yet ticket buyers typically show up at least for the opening weekend. You booked a river cruise and you can't swim? The price just went up. Last year's Jungle Cruise is a good example. Dwayne The Rock Johnson stars, movie version of a Disney theme park ride, tens of millions of advertising dollars, its trailers are everywhere. So Jungle Cruise opened to more than $35 million in its first weekend before sinking in its second, falling nearly 55%. Yes, it had marketability. What didn't it have? Playability. That's how audiences can help a movie succeed. So playability works like this. Moviegoers think a title is really good. They tell their friends to go see it. And those positive recommendations multiply and multiply exponentially. I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. I'm so tired to help you. This year's Everything Everywhere All at Once is a great case study in playability. No knock on star Michelle Yeoh, but it didn't have a box office draw like The Rock, even if she's a much better actor. So it was hardly some sort of familiar sequel, spinoff or reboot. Its advertising budget was minuscule, but none of that mattered because people liked the movie. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once grossed $6.1 million in its first weekend of wide release earlier this year. Then, with added theaters to satisfy demand, it actually grossed even more in its second weekend, up to $6.2 million. The problem for studios is that no matter how strong their marketability might be, consumer reaction, playability, in other words, is not only more powerful, but also nearly instantaneous. Thank you, social media. You have a gift. You always have. If there's an answer to your disease, you'll find it. Take April's Morbius. It starred two popular actors among younger moviegoers. It was co-produced by Marvel Entertainment, and it was supported by tens of millions of dollars of advertising. 
It opened well enough, $39 million in its debut weekend, but its word of mouth was both instant and devastating. So in its second weekend, Morbius dropped nearly 75%. And that's one of the biggest box office collapses of a wide release in recent history. In addition to everything, everywhere, all at once, there's one more movie in theaters now that has great playability. I offer you a choice. Fight or we die. It's The Woman King. So do like I did. Go see Viola Davis kick many butts and recommend it to your friends. That's how good movies will prosper. Coming up after the break, more on The Woman King with the film's director, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Her previous films include Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees, and The Old Guard. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting One of the Good Ones. The ultimate family showdown is on in the world premiere of this new comedy commissioned by the Tony Award-winning theater. When the perfect Latina daughter brings her boyfriend home to meet the parents, her family's biases and preconceptions are put on full display. Meet your new favorite family in this laugh-out-loud, heartfelt story from Gloria Calderon Kellett, the co-creator and showrunner of Netflix's One Day at a Time. Now through April 7th, tickets are on sale now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. The way Hollywood sees it, movies are judged solely by their return on investment. It might be nice to make something that gets great reviews and wins a couple of awards, but that's not any studio chief's top priority. Instead, it's financial safety, which is why we are drowning in so many sequels, remakes, and spinoffs. So when a movie somehow gets made that isn't any of those things, an original story that isn't based on some comic book or Stephen King novel, it's really important that ticket buyers show up because if they don't, those kinds of movies will move from endangered to extinct. Thankfully, director Gina Prince-Bythewood's latest film, The Woman King, is selling out theaters, largely due to strong reviews and even stronger word of mouth. The film is about an elite, all-female unit of early 19th century West African warriors. In this scene, General Naniska, played by Viola Davis, takes young recruit Nawi played by Tuso Umbedu, to task. Were you this arrogant with your family? No wonder they gave you away. It is you who is arrogant. I am a general. I have earned it. You have earned nothing. I should put you out. Mm. I have watched soldiers die because they did not have discipline. But it was hardly an easy road to get the woman king made. Here's my conversation with director Gina Prince-Bythewood. I went and saw the movie in a theater with a pretty mixed audience. It was in Pasadena. There were five previews that ran ahead of your film. Tell me when you spot a trend. Till, Black Adam, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Devotion, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Well, foremost, it's kind of stunning to have that type of diversity of content with black stories. It is, when has that happened before? Wow, that's that's really amazing. It's five movies all about black characters. Three of them are directed by black filmmakers. And I know that five movies does not make a trend, and there is a huge amount of work to be done. But I really paused and said, because it, it occurred to me like 15 minutes into your movie, I was like, what? wait, what did we just see? 
And we just saw something that I don't think you would have seen five years ago. Maybe not even two years ago. There's certainly been a shift and a shift in thinking that happened about a year and a half ago during the reckoning. And we've had shifts in Hollywood before, a lot of chatter, a lot of talk when something has happened and then it's dissipated. This was the first time where I felt a definitive, we need to do so much better. The number of calls I got from heads of studios, heads of production companies, asking in the right way, what can we do? Not being defensive when they get called on things. It was, I really felt encouraged. And then to know at that time, I was also developing The Woman King, a movie that even now I feel is a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle to get any movie made, but this film, it's a miracle. But the fact that I was doing that and it wasn't a fight for the first time in my career, um, it definitely felt different. As you said, when you pull out of it and then you count, it's like, oh, well, actually, you know, maybe 10 films out of 200. But, you know, there is a difference. And also, as you said, it is uh, people of color being able to tell our stories as opposed to others telling our stories. And that is a big thing that had to change. One of the things that I also noticed, because she is in the trailer or preview for Till, which is less a preview than a conversation about the movie, about the lynching of Emmett Till and what his mother did, is the head of Ryan Pictures, Alana Mayo, is in the trailer. Yes. Now, Alana Mayo and Nicole Brown, who was your executive at TriStar, are unicorns. I guess if they're two, they're not unicorns, but they're close to it, and they are both black women. And I think one of the things that has been a huge issue in representation and diversity in Hollywood is that you can talk all you want, but if people who are in power and making decisions are straight white guys, they are just going to gravitate toward a certain kind of film. And even white women do as well. So your executive, Nicole Brown, the head of Orion, Alana Mayo, those people didn't exist a couple of years ago. So in terms of who's making decisions, and it's not just the reckoning over the murder of George Floyd, it's about the people who have a chance to say yes, not a chance, it's about the people who have a, the power to say yes. That is different as well. Yeah, absolutely. That has been a fight for so long, the people in power who can say yes. And the majority of the time, what's been said yes to is what is familiar, what what they can see themselves in. And what my push certainly has been for my career and others is The Woman King is a historical epic. It is like Braveheart, one of my favorite movies. It is like Gladiator. It is like Last of the Mohicans, you know, these big rousing, fun epics. And yes, it has black women at the center, but that should be a cool thing because it's a story you haven't heard before. That's what I love so much about these type of films that literally you're taking me into a world and a culture I didn't know anything about, but that doesn't alienate me. It actually pulls me in. So um, the fact that Nicole Brown, yeah, she saw herself in this, that that is absolutely a game changer. But so did Tom Rothman. And that is the change that has to make to look outside yourself and just say, is this a good movie? 
is this a movie that I would go to see regardless of who is in it? That said, one of your producers, Kathy Schulman, at the time was the head of production at, S at STX. STX is run by a variety of white guys. Um, Adam Fogelson, Bobby Simons, there, there are a lot of white people running there. And Kathy told a story, and I'm quoting her now, everybody looked at me like I was insane to even think this could be a commercial movie. I remember them saying, you need a lot of money to do that with the battles, but it's the kind of movie you should make for $5 million. Other words, there's no way in hell we're making this movie. So you said this movie wasn't as much of a fight as your other movies. That said, it wasn't necessarily easy because one of your producers took it to her home studio and they told her to get lost. Yeah, that $5 million just literally, I cannot stop laughing at that. <laughs> um and I think, well, one thing changed um, after that incredibly ridiculous meeting that she had is Black Panther. Black Panther changed the game. Absolutely changed the narrative, changed Hollywood, changed the culture, proved something that we always knew. But it was an incredible hit. It was just a really good movie. And everybody went to see it. And that we were set up at TriStar, and I know Viola and Kathy and Julius had been fighting for years, absolutely. When Black Panther came out, that suddenly turned from development to, let's put this on a track of, of making this, because we know that it's a good movie, or it could be a good movie. Yeah, depending on how you make it. That's Julius Lennon, one of your producers as well. One of the things that I noticed immediately are your department heads. Both your writers are women, and then this is a random list. You have a female DP, a female editor, a black composer, a black female casting director, a black production designer, a black female costume designer, a black female fight choreographer, a black female choreographer, and that, I know, is the tip of the iceberg. And one of the problems that Hollywood faces is that people say, well, I want to hire diverse department heads and I can't find anybody with the credits. And it becomes this catch-22, because nobody, and I have some people in mind who I won't say, but one of them rhymes with Steven Spielberg, who won't give up-and-coming talent a chance. So this isn't to say that you hired people who aren't qualified, but how important was it to hire that diverse team? And is it also an issue that those kinds of people don't get a chance and somebody has to step up and say, here's your shot? A hundred percent. And I want to add, and as you said, tip of the iceberg, but I want to add Sarah Bennett, who was our VFX supervisor. I think she's the only female, or maybe there's two. It is it's an absolute thing. I have been there. I have been that person on the outside of the door, wanting to play in this big sandbox, not being let in because I didn't have the credits, even though I felt I had the talent, certainly had the passion. So for me, when it comes time to to crew up, I look past the resume, and you have to, because so many women, so many people of color, the resumes are smaller, but it's not because of lack of talent, it's because of lack of opportunity. So when I'm sitting across from somebody, what are they saying to me? Do I see an incredible passion? Are they hungry? Are they going to go beyond? Are they bringing something more than just their talent? And for this one, yeah, most of the crew, except for Terry uh, Shropshire, my editor, and Sarah Bennett, they both worked on Old Guard with me. But everybody else did not have a big movie. Um, so it was a fight to 
with the studio to trust that I know how to choose my crew. I've done, this is my sixth film. I know what I need. Um, but I wanted, I wanted that energy. And to a T, I am so glad I had that leap of faith because they honored it in so many ways, so many ways. And now they have this movie on their resume. And hopefully the next time they go for something, it won't be so hard. I was at CinemaCon in Las Vegas earlier this year, and you came out, and Viola Davis came out to introduce the film. And it's one of those moments where I think this happens for a lot of us. We take people like Viola Davis for, for granted. And then you start looking at her body of work and start thinking about what she's accomplished across very different fields and how much she matters to a movie and matters to a movie getting made. That when Viola Davis is part of your, I'm gonna set cast aside, when she is a champion of a project that matters. Um, and I think it's hard to measure the importance of somebody like Viola, but I remember being in that room and recognizing that not only does she have a lot of power, but she uses that power and it's rare to have somebody who is a black woman who has that kind of power. Yeah, the beauty of Viola and when she is part of something, because of who she is, that project has the assumption of greatness. And that is unfortunately rare for us in the industry and honestly in the world. We don't. We very rarely get that assumption of greatness. And she uses that wisely. Um, and she put her power behind this. This movie wouldn't have gotten made without Viola Davis as Naniska, as our general, as our, our lead, but also as our champion. She fought really hard for six years, her and Julius and Kathy. And it is, I've been there. I've been, when you have an idea that you believe in so much and every studio turns you down because it feels like they're turning you down. You know, Viola used the term hustling for your worth when you go in these rooms and you're pitching these stories passionately. It's really hard, but she believes and she had, it was, it was a big deal for her to be a part of this. And it was a leap of faith. This is, this is a historical epic, but it's got a lot of action in it. And I told her from the outset, you are going to be doing your own fighting and your own stunts. So that was a leap of faith for her to trust that I would get her there. Um, and she was still, you know, will I look good in this or will I look silly? So that first time I screened the movie for her, one, I was scared to death, but two, my gosh, her reaction at the end of it was so beautiful. Oh, she was crying. Um, she was blown away by the movie. She said, I look good, you know, which I loved. And she said the most beautiful thing, um, which then I started to hear from others who've seen it. And she said, I watch this film and I want these characters to live. Like they became so real to her and she wanted them to live. And yeah, that was everything. Maybe there'll be a Woman King part two. Gina, it's so great to see you again. Thank you very much for having me. That was Gina Prince-Bythewood, the director of The Woman King. The film is in theaters now. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting One of the Good Ones. The ultimate family showdown is on in the world premiere of this new comedy commissioned by the Tony Award-winning theater. When the perfect Latina daughter brings her boyfriend home to meet the parents, her family's biases and preconceptions are put on full display. 
Meet your new favorite family in this laugh-out-loud, heartfelt story from Gloria Calderón-Kellett, the co-creator and showrunner of Netflix's One Day at a Time. Now through April 7th, tickets are on sale now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. And finally, here's my weekly entertainment news chat with KPCC Morning Edition host, Suzanne Watley. This week, we talked about the possibility of criminal charges being brought in the fatal onset shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Hey there, John. Uh, happy to grace your... What am I gracing? Happy to be gracing something. How about that? <laughs> well, you are full of grace. I understand that there has been some news about the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust in New Mexico a year ago. What is the latest, John? Well, let's start by noting that we are rapidly approaching the one-year anniversary of her death on the Rust set in New Mexico. It was on October 21 that Alec Baldwin shot and killed Hutchins and injured the film's director, Joel Souza. Now, in a letter made public this week, prosecutors have said that most of their investigation is complete and that criminal charges might be imminent and that potential targets could include Baldwin. The letter was asking for more than $600,000 in additional funding for the investigation and potential trials. And the Santa Fe County DA's office said that up to four people could be charged if prosecutors decide uh, charges are called for. The DA, Mary Carmack Altwees, said in a letter that, quote, one of the possible defendants is well-known movie actor Alec Baldwin, unquote. And Baldwin not only starred in the movie, but also was one of its producers. And it all comes down to this, basically. There was a live bullet in Alec Baldwin's gun. It never should have been there. No live ammunition should ever be on a movie set. So did the bullet get into Baldwin's gun by accident? Or did it get there because of negligence that was so profound it becomes a criminal issue? Right. So this whole incident has broader implications for the entire uh, motion picture and television production industry. Uh, What has Alec Baldwin said? Well, he has said one main thing, and that is that he released the hammer on the gun, but that he didn't pull the trigger. Here's what Baldwin said on ABC late last year. I didn't pull the trigger. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. But the FBI has cast doubt on that explanation, basically saying that guns don't fire on their own. Hmm. So to make clear, no criminal charges have been filed, but that could change, of course. Meantime, there have been some civil lawsuits filed related to this fatal shooting What has been alleged in some of these complaints? Well, Hutchins' family and several people who worked on the film have filed civil complaints over the shooting, and they largely describe a low-budget production that was racing to get work done, employed a number of people who didn't have a lot of experience and might have been understaffed. The film's camera crew, for example, quit just before Hutchins was killed over work conditions and safety concerns. And a focus of some of those lawsuits has been the conduct of the film's first assistant director, Dave Halls, and its relatively novice armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. Both handled the gun that Baldwin fired very close to before it went off. Earlier this year, state safety investigators released their report about the shooting that killed Helena Hutchins and wounded the director. And I'm speaking with KPCC's John Horn about the latest. John, what did they find in their investigation and 
And did Hollywood implement any new safety measures in the wake of her death? Well, in April, the New Mexico safety investigators fined the production the maximum amount possible. It's not a lot of money, but it was their maximum, $136,000. And the report said the film's producers operating as this entity called Rust Movie Productions were, quote, cited for the plain indifference to the recognized hazards associated with the use of firearms on set that resulted in a fatality, unquote. You would think the industry would have done more. There were calls at the time for even outlawing uh, guns on movie and TV sets. But sadly, no real material change has come out of the industry in terms of new and more rigorous safety guidelines. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, continuing uh, to follow this case and bringing us up to date. Thank you, John. Uh, Happy to grace you. Thanks for listening to Retake. We'll see you again next week. I'm John Horn. Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino and Monica Bushman. The editor is Suzanne Levy. The associate producer is Sabir Brara, with production assistance this week from Tyler Wayne. And a special thanks to the entire KPCC LAS newsroom. Hey. It's Brian, the host of the How to LA podcast. How about we go to the movies? Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of LA's indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.